0: Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank
1: you. I mean, they always have a big mouth. They always talk a lot. So, <laughs> it happened before, it's going to happen again.
0: It feels a bit strange to say this, because it feels kind of like yesterday. But today we're celebrating the 10-year anniversary of our guest's amazing Grand Slam Mixed Doubles title run with partner Jack Sock at the 2011 U.S. Open. That tournament would also prove to be the scene of her unforgettable quarterfinal run where she defeated the Russian dynasty of Pavluchenkova, Dementieva, Sharapova, and Petrova in succession, which made the entire tennis world start believing in this talented player from Georgia. She'd begin her career in 2008 after reaching number two in the world in the ITF Junior Rankings, and it wouldn't take long before she'd start defeating the world's best, which included Yelena Yankovic to reach the fourth round of the 2009 Wimbledon Championships. Her world-class footwork and slice backhand were perfect for the grass, as she'd also add a WTA title in Birmingham to her grass court resume. Her career would ultimately be cut short in 2017 from numerous injuries, but she continues to stay active in the sport. And she's here today to talk about a career that took her all the way to the top 30 in the world. Our guest today is the fantastic Melanie Udan. Melanie, welcome to Fantastic Tennis. How are you?
1: I'm doing good, John. Thanks for having me.
0: Did you forget some of those things? You were like smiling. I loved it. I love watching you.
1: I just, that was, I think that was my favorite like introduction I've ever had in my like entire life. I was just like, wow, wow, wow. It just kept getting better and better.
0: (laughs) You did all those things. You did. I can't believe it's been 10 years because it's like, I I don't know. I like grew up watching you. So it was like, I can't believe this. What a nostalgic moment. I can't wait to talk about it. So great to see you. How are you?
1: Doing good. Doing good. It's Friday, Friday afternoon. so.
0: It is. It is. I'm also in New York City. It's Friday at like five o'clock. And if we hear sirens or screaming or whatever, it's just typical New York. So don't don't let it (laughs) faze (laughs) you. You look great. It's been about a year since we chatted last time, if you remember. We hosted these fun Zoom chats during the pandemic with pro tennis players. And we had about I don't know, 50 of your biggest fans from all over the world that joined us. And you were so gracious. You were so cool to join. And it was kind of at the height of the pandemic. So all we had was like Zoom at the point and you were like, yeah, let's do it. And we spent a couple hours chatting and you know, I appreciate that. It was really, really cool of you. So thanks for keeping us sane.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I enjoyed it. There's not a lot going on during the pandemic. So that was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, well, speaking of that call last year, I do have to make an announcement because... I had maybe 20 amazing tennis players. I had Vika Azarenka. You joined uh, Andre Petkovic, Jen Brady, Madison Keys. And if you remember, I made you play Heads Up. Do you remember that game, that charades game with the phone? Yes. Well, good, I'm glad. Um, I'm happy to announce that you, Melanie, are the WTA Heads Up champion out of everyone so I just had to announce it right now. I mean, really? I know.
1: I don't. Oh my gosh! What an honor! You are the
0: number one ranked Zoom tennis player in the world right now. For heads up. <laughs> so. <Yes. laughs> so congrats! If you need to kind of segue into that for a career, I'm. I think maybe the Olympics will. Will maybe investigate. Maybe if we can make that a professional sport, we'll figure it out. Oh man, are you big into games? Yeah. By the way, do you like games?
1: I'm a big game player. Yes, I get really competitive. <laughs> In all kinds of games.
0: Like what? What's your game?
1: I have well, really like different card games.
0: What? Tell My me. My friends
1: and I play. Have you ever heard of this game called Nerds?
0: Yes. That's a great one.
1: Nerds is a really fun one. Not everyone knows it. That's a big one. I mean, I, I like Gin Rummy.
0: I learned the ultimate old person card game. It's called Canasta. And anyone listening out there, if you know what Canasta is, make sure you send me a DM because I feel like it's a very, it's a dying breed of people that are good at this game, but it's my favorite, my very favorite. Well, alas, I did actually, we had Madison Keys on the show and she was getting ready for that virtual PlayStation tournament they had last year. So we were talking and she's like, you should get a PlayStation. And I was like, okay. And I got one. I wasn't very good at it. But I got a tennis game and I could make all these great players. So my Melanie Dan was fierce. She was fantastic. She had a great backhand too, just like you. <laughs> wicked, wicked backhand. When's the last time you played a competitive match just for fun?
1: I have played a couple matches of um, like Alta. They have Alta here in Atlanta. Oh, I
0: lived in Atlanta five years. Are you on an Alta team?
1: Yes. Okay. Well, I played mixed doubles a few matches and. I'm happy to say I have never lost in and out to match <laughs> thank goodness, but it's actually really, it's actually really fun. I mean, in Atlanta, there's so many good players, like ex-college players, there's some ex-pros, and there's some really competitive matches. It's fun because my, my roommate and I are on the same team together, Made friends with a lot of the people on the team, so I found a really good partner, and we, like, we won the season, so it was fun to get out and really play, you know? It's been a long time.
0: I love that. I love that. I love it. Well, and also, if I'm across the net from you and it's like, oh, wait, didn't she win the U.S. Open in mixed doubles? So that's not, <laughs> I'm like, that's probably a really good resume. But I will say you're right, because I remember playing and the team, we played against a team. It was all South Africans. It was Marianne DeShwart, Jessica Steck, all these like Nanny DeVilliers. It was like all these former pros and they all played out anyway. But I'm glad you're playing, mm-hmm. Melanie. Good. Yes. Well, we have a lot to talk about today. We'll keep the game train rolling. Let's dive right in. I'd like to play 15 love. I have 15 topics for you, Melanie, that range from the beginning of your career all the way to your life after tennis. We'll go through each topic one by one, and maybe by the end of the show, we'll all feel inspired to grab a marker and scribble believe on our sneakers. I think that's the goal today. (laughs) Oh, she's like, I'm going to log off right now. If these jokes get any worse, I'm literally going to click... <laughs> <laughs> That's it with you, John. I get. I only got two. That was the second one. I, I have one more cheesy one later. Let's okay.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: All right. Let's go. Topic number one. It's all about your tennis inspiration. Before we kind of jump into your career, I'd love to know the first professional tennis match you remember watching live or on television.
1: Oh, um, well, really. I mean, I know I've, I've said this before in interviews, but really, it was when I was nine years old. And I watched Wimbledon on TV at home and I was just glued to the television watching Venus Williams play. And I was just in love with all of it. Like I had already started playing tennis a couple of years before, but that was really the first time I really started watching. And just the way that Venus played, the way she carried herself, so classy, gracious, elegant, like everything about all the all white, right on the grass at Wimbledon, It just was something I was like, wow, I just would love to play there one day. And I just absolutely loved it. And that was actually when I knew that I wanted to be a pro tennis player.
0: Oh, see, Venus continues to inspire today. I love it. That's a great start. I did read that Justine Enna was a good inspiration for you as well, maybe height wise, and maybe the power that she could really just use her body in a way that was unprecedented for someone as small. I mean, you, you echo that as well. Was that a big inspiration for you?
1: Yes, exactly. I told people asked me who my inspiration was besides the lame sisters, really, it was Justine. And it was exactly because of that she was about my height and she was beating all these much taller, stronger players with like really like her movement and then her outsmarting them. You know, she really had a full court game. She was able, she had every shot in the book, you know, and I kind of tried to like, imitate my game based on hers, just being able to like have all the shots that I needed.
0: Did you ever meet her?
1: I finally did, but not where you would expect.
0: At Kroger, at the grocery store? You met her just?
1: <laughs> at... <laughs> no, I met her at Necker Cup, actually. Oh. Necker Cup in the Bahamas, when it was in the Bahamas one year, instead of at Richard Ranson's Island. And she happened to be another player there. I was there doing interviews and, and things like that. And she was playing. And I, I had I had to go up to her and meet her because I, I can't believe I never got to meet her on the tour because she had retired soon after really I had started playing the bigger tournaments. But yeah, that was really, a really cool experience.
0: And that's kind of a fancy way to meet somebody that you kind of idolize. Okay. <laughs> <Exactly>. Richard Branson's <laughs> Island. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unforgettable. Unbelievable and unforgettable. All right, we're gonna dive into topic two. Can we talk about how you started playing tennis? I'd love to know how you picked up a racket.
1: Yeah, so I'm a twin. I think people know that I'm a twin. So my twin sister and I, we pretty much did everything together when we were younger. But the first time we played was my grandma took us to her neighborhood tennis courts. We lived in the same neighborhood. So we could like ride our bikes to her house. And we would she would feed us tennis balls. And she played, she's played forever. She played until she was like 84, 85, crazy. Just like loved tennis. And we'd play for a couple hours and then we'd go swim in the pool and have ice cream. That was like exactly our tennis experience with her. And then soon we play Australian doubles, right? Two against one, me and my sister against my grandma or we'd switch around. And she's like, you know, Melanie, you're gonna beat me pretty soon. <laughs> and I think I started beating her when I was like nine or 10.
0: Did your sister not pick it up as much as you? I mean, if you started at the same time, it's just so interesting. Because I did read that, obviously, it must have been natural for you because you ended up going to homeschool, but your sister went to public school. So there was like this strange household dynamic, I'm sure, where there was a lot of maybe I, I don't want to say jealousy, but I mean, there's a lot of things that she probably wants from your life. And there's a lot of things of normalcy that you want from her life.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: I mean, that's kind of strange. You just gave it up. Is that what it was? She had other interests, I guess.
1: So she always wanted to be an obstetrician. She actually knew she wanted to be an obstetrician from nine years old too. We both like for career day at school, like I'd wear a tennis outfit. Is she an obstetrician today? She's, she's not, but she is a oh nurse, no! <laughs> but she's a but she's a nurse that works in the NICU. Okay. So literally, okay. she's still working with babies. You know. Okay. So yeah, I mean, she just didn't. She wanted the college route and was more focused on academics. And definitely, the one thing I will say, she definitely she'll say this too. She did not have the work ethic and like the drive. That those were. I mean, and you have to obviously have that.
0: Well, there's a lot of sacrifice involved in not going to school and, and the friends and the certain things that you missed out on as well, right. because again, we're going to talk about your junior career in a second, but absolutely. I mean, when it comes to, I will say though, observationally, it seemed like you had a lot of solid friends on the tour, Ali Risk, Shelby Rogers. I mean, these are players that I don't know if, were they friends mm-hmm. from junior tennis? Is that how you kind of, kind of started that friendship group?
1: Um, actually, no, I really became closer with them, like more in the, in the pros. I had a pretty, you know, I didn't go to school, regular school after 12 years old, but I trained in an academy, you know, it was here in Atlanta and like, we were really close. Like I had a nice group of friends, the academy, like went to a bunch of tournaments together. They would, a lot of them would come watch my matches. I mean, I know on my, on my box and some of the bigger tournaments, I had, you know, a bunch of people there. So it, it was definitely like, we were like a family, like the group I trained at was was small, um, but it was really, really nice. Everyone was so supportive of each other.
0: Were you chatting in the locker room or are you kind of on your own, your own, you're not a Sharapova type, but I mean, I hate to use her as an example, but she's, you know, a famous more example of kind of traveling yeah. on your own pack and just kind of being a little yeah. more individual, but.
1: So I feel like I've always been one of those people that I'm like friendly with a lot of people like I don't really have any problems anyone I feel like not many people have problems with me but I feel like I had more of like a really small group of friends that were like really good friends I feel like that's kind of what I've always been and then friendly with like a lot of people so I definitely wasn't someone talking like everyone locker room but definitely with uh with some of my closest friends
0: yeah I kind of pictured you as Miss King Geniality of the WT. <laughs> I mean, just the nicest, right? I've met you a couple of times now. You're just the nicest person. Okay. Well, can we talk about game style for a minute? Because while we're talking about the start of your career, mm-hmm. obviously this is where one hones their skills mm-hmm. and becomes the player they're going to be. Your height obviously was something you were never going to change, but I would love to know who created this game style for you. Who Who kind of worked on this footwork that was world-class and really made you the athlete that you became?
1: So that was one of the biggest things when I started was realizing I wasn't going to overpower people. And so if I wanted to be one of the best, my footwork had to be like the absolute best. I mean, there, there was no, it couldn't have any kind of flaws in it. Technique had to be perfect, you know, as efficient as possible. So fitness was a huge part and a ton of it was on court. My coach at the time, Brian DeVilliers, he pretty much did like tennis and the fitness for me. And honestly, I think that worked really well because of the fact that it was so tennis specific. And you don't always see that nowadays. People have different coaches for both. But for me, it was so important. My movement was strictly for the tennis court. It wasn't about being in the best shape, right? It was like tennis shape and it was tennis movement. So we did, I mean, I spent so much time, probably more time on footwork than anything else. Like also running out on the track and running hill sprints and running at this river where it was the trail and then pulling tires, sprinting, doing like suicides. I mean, I I did all kinds of pretty much any kind of running movement you can think of. I did.
0: I'm exhausted for you just saying that. (laughs) Looking back now, I know you coach and we'll talk about it in a bit as well, but was there anything that you wish maybe as a kid, you could have changed as far as the development or style in your game? Because obviously when you're playing at the pinnacle of where you were, there's always going to be something that you're lacking. And that goes for the best players in the world. I mean, whether it's touch or whatever it's going to be, but um, was there anything you look back and said, you know, I wish I would develop this a little more and maybe some advice you give to kids today to kind of work on?
1: Um, You know, the thing that I struggled with the most from the very beginning of my career till the very end of my career was my serve. And it was just something that I don't really know. You never know, but I don't really know if it would have gotten better because I feel like I worked with a bunch of different coaches and I tried pretty much every single thing there was to try on it. Mm. And I just, I never really... Got the RPMs that I really wanted on it. That was something that just like, I don't know if my, the way I'm built, like my arm just would not go that way, like faster but I would say it's really my serve. Everything else I felt like, you know, I, I developed pretty well at a, at a young age and I was happy with the development, but the serve is something that, that it's just was a work in progress the whole, my whole career.
0: Same, same. We needed to do the, some of those Dr. Walter Bartoli drills that he was.
1: I mean, oh into. my Maybe. gosh. <laughs> I, I've seen him. I, I literally practiced next to her over and over and we just, I would just watch and just in awe of, I'm like, man, maybe I need to try that, you know, you never know. I mean, gosh, she won Wimbledon, so. Exactly.
0: (laughs) She credits those crazy drills as, you know, uh, developing her serve, especially, you know, I think it's fascinating. I'm I'm willing to try everything. Let's talk, I mean, there wasn't much to tinker with when it comes to your game, really. But, um, because especially in the juniors, you were a phenomenal junior. You'd reached number two in the world in the ITF junior rankings. You'd win a lot of prestigious tournaments in your junior career. But one of the greatest results was reaching the U.S. Open Junior Semifinal. So this is going to be a perfect time to start our trivia challenge today. Mel, this this is going to be the first of three questions I'm going to ask you.
1: Okay. If
0: you get two out of the three right, you'll ace the Udan exam and be crowned queen of your own memory today. So it's all about games, Mel. This is how we're doing it. Uh, I believe in you, though. Don't worry. No. Okay. There's
1: number three.
0: <laughs> There's okay. number three. Oh, maybe I have another one rolled up my sleeve. <laughs> all right. Let's start with your first question today. We're going to go all the way back to the 2007 US Open Junior event. Let's see how well you remember. All right, Melanie, which two American players that are still playing today, by the way, did you defeat en route to that US Open Junior semifinal?
1: Oh, gosh.
0: I know you have to think back. I love this it. This is
1: hard. I'm pretty sure. Did I play Asia? Asia Muhammad? Yes. Yep. Okay. There's one. Asia. And.
0: I think it was right after that then. It was Asia and then.
1: It wasn't Christian, was it?
0: No. I'll give you that no. as just, a, like, I, you're just, you know. I
1: really, honestly, like, I mean, I know who I lost. I remember who I lost to. Honestly, I don't even remember who I played besides the person I lost to.
0: I can't remember anything either. I would do terrible at this game. But some people can remember, like, we had Pam Shriver on the show. She can remember a score, like, a set score from 1975.
1: hundred percent. That is crazy. It's
0: crazy. It was Madison Brengel. So it was
1: Madison Brangle. Madison a
0: Brangle. Yeah. Check it's... out our episode of Fantastic Tennis, another great episode.
1: That's a tough question. That's a tough one. I'm normally pretty good at this stuff, but this is that's hard. It's a throwback. Yeah. It's a throwback.
0: Yeah. You'd continue to play junior events and some pro ITF events before actually turning pro in 2008. You'd get a wild card into qualifying from the USDA to play in your first Grand Slam, and that was the 2007 US Open. What was that first U.S. Open experience like? Was that just awe-inspiring?
1: It, it was pretty amazing. I mean, that was the dream, right? That That's why, yeah. you know, you play tennis, to play at the Grand Slams. And I was still pretty young. I think I was only 15 when I got the wild card first-time qualies. And I had just been there, actually, as a fan to watch, I think, a couple of years before. And I was just like, wow, like how cool would it be to play here, you know? I was really nervous the first time, but it just, it's, it's all the feels like it's exactly, you know, what you dream it will be.
0: What part did the USTA have in helping you early on in your career? They had a pretty big development program if what I remember. Right. I mean, were they, was it a supportive system for you growing up? I mean, was that a, that was your home base?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't really do, I didn't do a ton with the USTA. I was really happy to be invited to some of the different camps that they did um, or go down to Boca and work with Richard Ashby, who was my USDA coach, was one of my absolute favorites. But like I said, I trained in Atlanta. So most of the time I was working in Atlanta, but they were always really supportive. Kathy and Ola Malmquist, very supportive at tournaments. One thing I like loved about them was like, they would always watch every single American player, like no matter if you trained there or you didn't. And that, that to me was like pretty special because I didn't mm. train with them, right? But yeah, I mean, I, I felt like I had a good system going. I had my own private coach in Atlanta, but then I still was invited to go to the camps with them and hit with different players and work with Richard a lot. So, I, I mean, I liked it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Best of both worlds. Let's roll on to topic four. The 2008 season started and it was officially your first full year on tour, Melanie. You turn pro in February. I think you're probably 16 at this point when you turn pro? Yes. Right around there maybe? 16, 15, yeah. yeah. Hopefully getting a pretty decent allowance at this point as well, turning pro, because you know, my first job, it wasn't winning ITF tournaments, so I don't know. <laughs> what were those early years like on the ITF tour for you that first year? I mean, there's, you're a young kid. Was it a friendly environment for you?
1: So it's funny you say, I remember exactly when I turned pro, it was actually at an ITF tournament so it's still a junior tournament in California and I was the number 1 seed I'm pretty sure and I was playing back to back and like no one had really won Carson and Easter Bowl back to back and I was going to be the number 1 seed at both and it was like a huge deal like people were making such a big deal over me turning pro cuz I think I turned pro like right before that tournament so that was my first tournament as a pro but I was still playing juniors and in america it's just it's so different than compared to other countries like i talked to some of the other other my friends that were from different countries and they're like yeah over there it's no big deal everyone turns pro when they're like 14 you know as soon as you can but in america going to college is such a big deal like it it was a lot of pressure i felt i played probably the tightest in that tournament that i've ever played because everyone was watching me oh she just turned pro you know, how's she going to do now? Like all this stuff, like, was it the right decision? It was, it was a lot, but I, I I
0: think you made the finals as well. Yeah. So the pressure was okay for you.
1: I did. (laughs) I I, know it it was good. It was a good sign because I ended up winning Carson and Easter bowl that year. So that was, that was good.
0: First sign of pressure. (laughs) We'll talk about it later too, but you have any crazy ITF stories? I mean, obviously all eyes are on you at that point, but Are they good memories when you're looking back on the ITF? Because you're playing in all these remote places. I mean, it's kind of a, we've heard the horror stories really of the ITF and all this, you know, the player council is really trying to restructure a lot when it comes to challengers and ITFs. What's your experience with ITFs?
1: You know, I enjoyed it. I don't know if you know, like um, Bunny Williams and Missy Malul, but they're like the best people ever that ran majority of the tournaments. They took care of the players as much as they possibly could and did an amazing job. I guess there were some places that I disliked more than others on the ITF yeah. Pro Circuit. Troy, Alabama was probably one of them. Like the middle of nowhere in France, a couple weeks before the French Open is one. I don't even remember the city. Somewhere in Canada, there is one in the middle of nowhere. I'm pretty sure like the Tournament <laughs> Hotel is a Super 8 motel. And I was like, is this actually the Tournament Hotel? But- anyways, like it also, it, it. I mean, it really does make you like tough and it makes you want to get to that next level. Like you're like, okay, I, you know, I'm here now. I've got to work my way up, especially when you're, oh, yeah. when you're young. Right. You have to start there. Or I mean, most, most people do. Right. But you're like, okay, you know, I see what's on TV. I see, you know, the experience people stay in the nice hotels in New York at the U S open. Right. Or, at Wimbledon, you say near Wimbledon village and, and, you know, stuff like that. So that's my goal, right? That's where I want to get to. So you got to have that in mind. You know, I, I think if you think that way, then it makes it a lot better.
0: Well, it paid off. I mean, you made 10 ITF tournament finals in your career. You won six of them. Do you have a favorite ITF event that you won? I know we talked about some of the places that were not as luxurious, but was there one, maybe event, maybe a certain time in your in your life, or I mean, you won some great tournaments. Is there one in particular?
1: There were some some good ones. I would probably say it was a little bit later in my career when I'd gone through some injuries, and I would say actually this one and probably one more. But this one, I had had some injuries already, and I hadn't won a tournament in a while, and I just done, my ranking had dropped yeah. so low, and I played this tournament on clay, which was definitely not my best surface. Just trying as hard as I could every single match find like every match was like a battle right but I got better and better every match I ended up winning pretty easily in the final but I actually I will say probably my best my favorite one was the very first ITF pro circuit tournament that I won and I played I remember I played Carly Gullickson in the final and I literally like could not believe that i won i finished the match and i was just like i cannot believe i just won a pro tournament you know it was just crazy Lexi lexington tucky that was one of my favorites actually i literally had to go to the bathroom but they were going to do a little ceremony and i just speak and stuff But i went out and sat in the bathroom and threw up after i won it wasn't even that hot it was just because i was literally just like couldn't believe that i won the tournament oh
0: sorry i love that story i love that story well Little did you know that after that, your world was going to change. 2009 would be a really special and important year for you. You'd start off in Australia. You'd qualify for your first Australian Open, which was amazing. You know, that must have felt so good to do that, to start the year off. Well, 2009, we get to Wimbledon, and it comes around, and bam. We finally have uh, the new American hope we had hoped for. You qualified, made the fourth round, beating some great players, including Jelena Jankovic. What was that... Big Wimbledon fourth round experience like for you. That's really when things just started coming together right there, that couple months we're going to talk about.
1: Well, it was pretty crazy. I definitely did not expect that to happen because my first round qualifying match, I was down two match points. So my Wimbledon could have easily been over right then and there. And I was playing an Australian girl and her serve was really big and she was serving for the match she'd aced me a million times and she's serving for the match 40-15 and I ended up somehow coming back and winning that match and then I played you know things just I don't know what happened things just clicked and I crushed my next two qualifying matches and you know you get to Wimbledon for the first time and it is just it's like it's one of those things I first time I went to the locker room at Wimbledon it's almost like you see in the movies where they like open the doors and it's just like this bright, this bright light. And then it's just like, everything is just perfect inside. Right. That's literally the experience that I had the first time I saw like a locker room. At Wimbledon. It was just, it was just amazing. Like to play, to play there. I had obviously, I had a really, really good tournament beating Yelena on the graveyard court or something. They called, they called it. <laughs>
0: Oh, do you remember the court? Yeah, I was going to ask you. I mean, you had some great wins. You mean, Sybil Bammer, Shvedova, and then Yankovic. I mean, that's that's. I think she was the sixth seed or seventh seed or something crazy. So all eyes on you. I mean, amazing. Did you like playing on grass in your career?
1: I, I really loved it. It was so mm-hmm. much fun to play on because it's a surface that you hardly ever get to practice or play on much of the year. So when it comes around, my my game style like really favored the grass. Totally. The way I hit pretty flat my slice drop shot like it helped my serve it helped my volleys it was just it really helped my game actually
0: yeah I'm, I'm sure Yankovic hated you we'll talk about that in a second as well <laughs> I know we haven't reached the U.S. Open yet but at this point in your career did you feel pressure to be a great player I know you hadn't had the results before Wimbledon yet and it was pretty young in your career you just turned pro you, you one right. full year now we're kind of midway through year two on the tour and you know, all of a sudden here we are, but did you feel it prior? I'm obviously New US open is a different animal. We'll talk about it, but did you always feel the expectation to be a good player?
1: Not really, because I had, I had actually been one of those players that had slowly been improving like mm-hmm. every year, like my entire career, even when I started playing tennis for the first time when I was little, I like had slowly just gotten better little bit at a time. There were never really any big jumps. It just was pretty consistent and solid. My results were like, not bad, right? They were pretty good. And then I'm not really sure what that that fall of 08 in the juniors is when I got to number two in the world. So that was like when things really started clicking. Um, as far as like, just my game in general, I think I won like 27 matches in a row, which was like, crazy it was like i figured out a way to win and i just didn't really know how to lose and that that really i feel like was the start of it and yeah i felt a little bit of pressure because mm-hmm. i had started doing well and my ranking was pretty much where i a, a pretty decent ranking for being 16 17 fully been moving up i was top 200 playing you know a good amount of tournaments because they still had that age restriction you can only play so many tournaments for being 16. so yeah i feel like i was just kind of like on the right track and then Wimbledon was something that I didn't really expect and then of course US Open was just another level of like not expecting that.
0: Another level. Another level. We're, US Open we're going to talk about in one second but real quick before we move on from Wimbledon what were your thoughts on Ash Barty? I know you've played her as well in your career. Was that a was that a fun Wimbledon for you to watch? I mean as a fan too like we are all.
1: Oh, yeah. Very very cool. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Ash Barty. Played her okay. uh before in she is just one of those people that like it's hard not to like her. And it's hard not to like her game either. Like she's such a smart player. She has all the shots. I mean, like I like watching her, you know, it's not boring tennis, that's for sure.
0: No, I was courtside at a Udan Barty match mm. at the U.S. Open, by the way. So
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> it's yeah. <laughs> very fun to watch. Let's talk U.S. Open. It's topic number seven. In this case, it's lucky number seven for you. We're on to our second question in our Udan exam. We have a little redemption here. Let's try and do this. Uh, by the way, how many people have mispronounced your name in your life? I'm sure a lot because, you know, there's two vowels. That's hard for Americans sometimes.
1: <laughs> no, it really it is hard. You know, when I go to restaurants or I have to book anything, I always say Uden. Yeah. I never say Udan ever. Yeah. My dad used to say Hogan. I don't know why he said Hogan. Easier.
0: He didn't want to deal with it. That's why. He didn't want to repeat himself three times. Your dad is a
1: smart man, actually.
0: He's like, no one will mispronounce Hogan. It's fine. I'm not going to say. <laughs> All right. It's question two. Let's test your U.S. Open trivia. Your quarterfinal run at the 2009 U.S. Open was truly unforgettable. The last time a player as young as you had reached the quarterfinal stage in New York was a decade earlier in 1999. When this American player upset Lindsay Davenport to earn the biggest win of her young career, who was that player, Melanie?
1: I mean, I thought—is it was it Serena?
0: Yes, there you okay, go. We're on the I board. Yes. <laughs>
1: you
0: no, know, I could have said. I mean, she's going to be a future number one and be the greatest player of all time. But I was trying to make it a little a little harder for you.
1: <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was Serena. Yeah.
0: You never played Serena Urvinus in your career but were you around Venus? I know we talked about her as the first match you watched. Did you get to see her around Fed Cup? And
1: Yes. Yeah. Both of, yeah. Both of them actually, I actually did a few exhibitions with Serena. Awesome. And it's funny because we, we did play this one time we played a set in singles and we also, I played mixed doubles also with her a couple of times and it was just so much fun. I was like, I knew like when I played her in a set, like, I'm pretty sure, I think I won 7-5 and like, this is a long wow. time ago. I was really, I think I was only, that was when I was like 17.
0: I love how you say, I'm pretty sure, you know, you're very sure you won seven five. You're being polite right now. I mean, I'm pretty sure. I don't remember beating Serena, it's but because,
1: yeah. no. Well, it's because like, I don't think at the time I was like, Oh my gosh, it's the, you know, it's Serena. I mean, I still feel that way sometimes, you know, I just have so much like respect for her. And she was someone that I idolized. Yeah. And Getting to be on the other side of the court from her. Like, I'm pretty sure she wasn't trying that hard. And I was trying really hard. And that's why people ask me, Have you ever played Serena? Right? That's the first thing everyone asks when they are oh, your tennis player. I'm like, Yeah, but like, it was just an exhibition. So it was just for fun. And they're like, What did you win? I'm like, Well, yeah, but it, I don't know, it doesn't really hey, count. You go. know, I mean,
0: it counts, it counts in my head. Now everyone's hearing this today. Oh, <laughs> yeah. um, you played. So many amazing players in your career though. You really, really did. Looking back on your career, what match would you say that you think you played the absolute best match of Melanie's career? What's the quintessential Melanie match? I mean, I can guess what we're about to say, but I mean, for you personally, do you think that was, you know, are we, we're probably thinking Sharapova, which we'll talk about in a second.
1: No, we're not. Oh, Oh, even
0: better. Keep going. I interrupted you. Shut the F up. okay.
1: (laughs) No, that was definitely not the best match ever. That was the most emotional, I think, and other things. But uh, Dementieva, that match was high quality all around, I felt like, from both of us, that second round of the US Open. But honestly, the best match I think I ever played on tour was second round of Birmingham when I won the WTA tournament. I played Elena Vesnina, And she's, she's really good on grass. And I beat her one in one in one or one in two played wiped out like was hitting winners off of her first serve just like couldn't make a mistake and she looked at me after the match and she was like you played unbelievable and I was like I'm I'm so sorry like I know I played so well I like this is one of the best matches I've ever played like it was just zoned in like i was seeing the ball like a watermelon but doesn't that get oh
0: man you know I played junior tennis and I it that makes me so mad that we just can't recreate those moments all the time right isn't that so I cool know. about tennis where it's just like it's so hard to describe that to people where you're just like yeah I literally didn't miss a ball like what was it about the universe on that one day I mean Serena gets it a lot I mean I, I don't know I don't know anyway I mean I love it we're going to talk about that in a second but let's talk about the U.S. Open because it was unforgettable. We're gearing up for the US Open, and I can't think of the US Open without thinking of my favorite matches. And these Melanie Dan matches were some of my very favorite. Let's talk US Open. Your draw starts against Pavluchenkova, who, I mean, amazing year for her too already. I mean, I'm sure that's so fun to see.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: she was an up and coming player at the time. You beat her in straight sets. Did you look at the draws, by the way? Were you the kind of player that looked at the draws?
1: I was. Yeah, I yeah. liked, I liked looking at it. It was funny because I'm pretty sure Anastasia was the first, she was, or she was the next person to be seated in the draw that year. And I drew her first round. And then I'm like, my gosh, this draw, like my coach joked with me. I've, I've said this in interviews before, but this really had, we were still in Atlanta when the draws came out and he, we see the draw and he goes, Melanie, if you want to win the U S open, you have to beat five Russians and a Williams sister. And I said, and he, I like, we both looked at the draw and we're like, this draw is just ridiculous. Like, it was so tough. Like, everyone was just so good. And I'm like, oh, gosh, my first main draw, you know, US Open on my own ranking. And like, this is a draw I get. And I, I lost to Anastasia in like two years before in juniors. I think when she was the one seed, two or three years before, I lost like one in one. Like, she crushed me. So I was like, man, this is going to be pretty
0: tough. <laughs> I love it. It was such a good win. And then the second round, obviously, Elena Dementieva was really, it was really a big upset and it really started the buzz around the ground. She was one of my very favorite mm-hmm. players to watch because, you know, we had the same serve and <laughs> she was just so great on a hard court. She just was, it was just really fun to watch. What do you remember from that match? Obviously the high quality, but was that a nervous match for you playing Elena
1: I was I was a little bit nervous in the beginning uh, because because honestly more about that that was my first match on Ash and I was so excited to play on Arthur Ash I've never played there before the warm-up I got to hit on it for just 30 minutes that day and it was like just looking up with no one there and then coming out and having like it absolutely packed was like crazy to see Um, a little bit nerve-wracking but Overall. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved that match. Like I just felt like we were both fighting so hard. Our rallies, like with our, both our ground strokes, both sides, I felt like we're just really, really strong. Some of the points were just like unbelievable. Like, like I said, the high, I felt like it was just really high quality tennis, really respectful match. I felt like both of us, I struggled with some pain in my left leg. So like fighting through that.
0: You had some great matches with her in your career, mm-hmm. too. You had a great semifinal of Paris indoor a
1: couple yeah. years later,
0: too. It was a player that you matched very well against. It was just a very, very, very cool. Well, you know, yeah, that's probably a player you, you didn't like playing, too. I mean, it was just right. like so, so tough all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, you get through those first two matches, and in the third round, we would have Maria Sharapova waiting, and it was truly a remarkable win for you, career-changing, I remember watching so intently, like everyone else, uh, that tournament. There were so many breaks of serve. It was back and forth. It was just a crazy match. It was just what we wanted to see.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Undoubtedly the biggest match of your career as well. You said things changed for you overnight after that match. What does that mean exactly? What changed?
1: Um, Pretty much, I think it was just the way that people saw me the fact that I I literally would walk around and I the date couple of days before it was one way and then after that match walking around I couldn't walk around by myself like without people coming up to me like from everywhere even like walking in New York just downtown or going to a restaurant people would come up to me to the, to the table I mean and, and literally two days before it was no problem like that's what was so crazy just like it was more the way people reacted the way people treated me and it was in a way, like I was super, I was super excited about it and humbled really because people wanted to get to know me. Like they, they like, I think I I seemed approachable and I seemed like very normal and down to earth. And so people like felt like they could just come up and talk to me, you know? Yeah,
0: I was gonna ask, I mean, I obviously you just answered my question. You're aware of the buzz. I mean, you're aware of because people are coming up to you. It's hard not to be. This is before the age of social media in general, too. Right. Did you let that right. moment sink in or were you very focused on the next match? Because you had a huge match to play in two days as well. So it seems like you, you know, you, you were able to enjoy the moment a little bit, which is great. But you have people around you saying, okay, we need to kind of go and just like, you know, we need to focus here. You're still in the tournament.
1: Oh, yeah. And I definitely, didn't really let it get to me it it was just a lot like just being outside like I was one of those players I liked going and watching my friends play like even at the US Open I liked going and sitting in the stands or watching matches and I couldn't do that anymore that changed every time I'd like walk to my practice like I'd have to go with security you know it was just like a lot more cameras than I had like way more media and i had like a photo sh- on my day off i had like a photo shoot just like a bunch of different things that you don't really know you'd have no idea until you actually like have that happen to you how is anyone prepared for that they're not you can't you can't really prepare for it it just it happened out of nowhere no. so unexpected and i was still obviously i was only 17 so i really didn't know that all of that like happens if you do really well
0: Yeah. You're, I mean, obviously monetarily too, you're signing endorsement deals that tournament. I mean, things are changing
1: better in life. So
0: do you remember what she said to you at the net? It was probably the last word she ever said to you. Was it just like good match?
1: Cherpova. Yeah. She definitely said good match. I'm pretty sure she said good luck maybe too, but that it it wasn't anything like.
0: Yeah. There we go. The end. (laughs) 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 You know, that's a lot more than most people got. So that was pretty good. Well done. She liked you. Well, the next match with Nadia Petrova, who I'm a big fan of as well. I love that whole Russian dynasty. You know, she was on the show as well. She spoke about this match. It was such a interesting fourth round match. What do you remember from that match with Petrova? I mean, obviously, you just said you're looking at the draw, and it's like, oh, this is the toughest draw. I can't believe I'm even here. So you must have just been loving it anyway.
1: Yeah, so I was really nervous, I think, after... I'd played Sharapova. So for that match, I went out and was, for some reason, a little bit more nervous, I think, just because of all the buzz that had gone on. And she, Petrola came out playing like, liked out. Like, she was just hitting winners on me, like, all over the place. I didn't even feel like I was playing that bad. Like, she just was really outplaying me. And then I started to figure things out a little bit. I started to get adjusted to her game style which it was obviously similar to the other Russian players I'd played. I pretty much had the same game plan for everybody because they played kind of similar, you know, tall Russian players. And then after like really, after winning the second set, that was when I really started to believe like, okay, like, I think I can win this, but the, the confidence grew every match for me. You know, I, I just, I started to think, okay, you know, I'm still in this, like, I'm here for a reason. You know, I got in on my own this year like there's no reason I'm in every route. Like I'm competing with these players. There's no reason why I can't win, you know?
0: Yeah. You said it yourself, you know, it's when you started to believe and you were wearing those famous Adidas shoes as well. Can we talk about them for a quick second? Every young girl that played tennis, anybody who played tennis really wanted those shoes. Those were, I remember them. They're yellow and pink. I mean, they were cool barricades, right? Those were like, Everyone loved those shoes. Where did that come from? How did that start with the shoes?
1: So Adidas asked me and Sam Query a little bit before the US Open if we wanted to design our own pair of shoes to wear at the US Open. We're like, sure, that'd be great, you know? And I like just really like the bright colors. And then we're at the side. They're like, oh yeah, you can put your name on the side. You can put something. And I'm like, I don't want put my name on it. Like I want to put something like maybe a word or something inspirational you know I, I like quotes and and things like that so I thought of, of the word believe and I was like oh this will be you know this will be good like to think of going into the tournament and, and just re- a little reminder my matches no idea of course that it would like become a, a big thing or you know pictures of my shoes would be everywhere that like, people would want pairs yeah. of them like that was just crazy that was never an intention obviously at all
0: so cool. I'm sure. Hopefully, you still have them as well.
1: I do. I yeah. do.
0: And Sam's word was what? Just I don't know. I
1: think he might have put his name.
0: Yeah, you screwed up, Sam You Screwed <laughs> up. I don't know what round you made it to that year, but I mean, come on, come on. Oh man, can we talk about the aftermath of the U.S. Open? This is our eighth topic today. We're moving right along. The tennis world knows who you are at this point. Amazing feeling. I'm sure. Unbelievable. This was before the excitement, again, of social media. But as a teenager, looking back, I'm sure a story like Coco Goff's really resonates with you as well. Mm -hmm. The media attention that she has. We can all assume that some of the best things to come from a big event like the US Open is a great paycheck and celebrity and all these great things. What was the worst thing to come from the US Open?
1: I would probably say just the fact that people wanted to know everything about my life. Like, no one really cared about privacy and there was just some like personal stuff that came out and, and it was just like, okay, I get it. You know, I, I get people want to get to know me. Right. But there was just some things that, you know, pers- their personal things that obviously like no one wants like the media talking about. Right. So I think it was just yeah. the fact that they wanted to like dig deep, like into my personal life. When to me, it was like, okay, this should be about the tennis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. That's tough. That's tough for anybody. Not, not only a teenager, you know, that's right. Not, that's not <laughs> right.
1: Cool.
0: I mean, I, I just mentioned Coco Goff, but I wonder what your take was on Naomi Osaka this year in the media as well. Um, you know, it's such a fascinating thing. I mean, as a player that was scrutinized, like you were looking at, at intensely, especially after your U S open, were you in favor of players taking a media timeout? I know you didn't, you weren't afforded that, in your generation? I'm sure there was a lot of, I wish you would have had a Naomi Osaka as a pioneer for you back then as well, just to kind of say, you know what, I'm not ready to chat. I'm not ready to talk about whatever you want to talk about. What was yeah. your, what was your take on Naomi spearheading the new movement?
1: So I actually like see both sides mm-hmm. because I like to think about the, the media, like that's their job, right? If they don't get quotes from players, if they don't get to talk from the players, like what are they writing about? You know, that's how, and that's also how people get to know players is from them seeing their personality, seeing what they're saying about the match, you know, things like that. But I also see the player side and I think Naomi is right. You know, I actually, I remember Naomi from the pro circuit like years ago, And she has always been quiet and to herself stuck with her sister and her parents. And I'm sure like, you know, sometimes media asks really, really dumb questions. And like I just said, media was asking me all kinds of personal things, which I don't think they had any, they should not have been asking me. So, and I didn't really want to talk about that kind of stuff either. Mm -hmm. So I really, I definitely see both sides. I don't think, I, I think she's right to, you know, do what she wants. For sure. And I think people have gotten to see her personality come out anyways. And obviously, like, you know, she's done a lot for for women for the sport of tennis, you know. So I actually watched her I watched her Netflix documentary the other day. You did. I was gonna
0: ask. Very cool. No, it was it
1: was very cool. It was really like like that, you know. I feel like that just showed kind of like people really got to know her from that, you know. I thought it was very cool. I'm a fan.
0: It's important to take time out sometimes, but I understand as well, you know, as somebody that's talking to players right now, you know, it, it is, you're right. I love what you said. Cause it's uh mm-hmm. there's a moment for everything. Right. But whatever is going to be said, I mean, for a mental state of tennis, I'm sure that even that next year at the U S open, it wasn't the U S open experience you had had the year before. And I'm sure that was, mm-hmm. it affected you. It wasn't as fun as the year before as well. And you're going to be asked about it and, and have to speak to it. And you know, it's a tough time. So yeah, I get it. Not always fun. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, let's talk about something that is fun. Okay. Let's talk about fed cup. We're moving to our next topic. And because of that U S open in 2009, you were appointed to the fed cup team and it's our next topic. You won some fun matches over the years playing for team USA and you played some big opponents too, like Kim Kleisters in 2011. That's a big match. Yeah, What was your fed cup experience? Like
1: it was really amazing. I always had a blast playing fed cup because it was really one of the only team events that you have in the pros. So I always loved our team and we actually played sh- most of the years I was on the team. We played charades was kind of what we did as a team, always having team dinners. And, um, just like the cheering and going crazy, and it just the supportiveness of you know fellow players on the tour, like cheering for each other. A lot of them were my friends. You know, it was just it was really cool, like the team atmosphere, because you just yeah most of the year is all individual.
0: It's a big deal too. You know, it's a great honor to to kind of be able to play and kind of surround yourself around that and be in
1: that environment. So yeah, yeah I definitely, cool. I definitely like didn't say this, but I a hundred percent like loved playing for my country you know that's another thing it wasn't oh, yeah. like just you you're playing for like said your team and their country as well which is much bigger than just yourself so well
0: 2010 would prove to be a, a tough year as you had to follow up the success of your cinderella story year in 2009 but good times were still ahead for you melanie Dan. let's talk about the 2011 u.s open and your surprising run to the mixed doubles grand slam happy anniversary by the way that's very cool. Yeah.
1: Thank you. I didn't even realize that. Ten years. Wow. Ten
0: years. Ten years. Does it seem like that long ago?
1: It does seem like a waste. No. It does seem like a long time. But not, not. Maybe not ten years, though.
0: No. It's a whole decade. How did that partnership ten with Jack years. Sock happen? How did that Grand Slam run? I mean, you beat some great players. We're beating Liesl Huber and Bob Bryan and all these great players in that tournament. It was a wild event.
1: Yeah. Well, I actually, so the first time I met Jack was the December of the year before. And it was in Atlanta, and I didn't play it, but it was of the Australian Open wild card playoff that USTA had a wild card for. And they actually played it at the club that I trained at here in Atlanta. And
0: by the way, I was there because I lived in Atlanta at the time. Oh, really? And you would walk around, you were still in like a main draw. but it was Madison Keys, Coco Vandaway, uh, Lauren Davis. It was like every pro that's playing today still. And you were just like yeah. the hot. You know, young, just walking around like, no, I'm not playing in this because you were you were like top 30 of it. You were still really great in the time, so it was like I remember I was like, oh, there's Melanie, and everyone would say, oh, everyone whispers, there's Melanie. She's not. Oh no, she's not playing. in this. <laughs> no, no, she's gearing up for the French. Like, no, no. Oh, so
1: funny.
0: But you were there watching at your club, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. She. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that that's actually the first time I I met Jack. And we became friends, and he he asked me if I would play, and I never like I I just I didn't even I was like who is this guy I didn't even know him right I didn't even I knew he was playing high school tennis and he had done really well in juniors, but as far as pros I was you know I didn't really know much about him, and anyways I'd you know I heard he was really good I saw him I saw him play obviously he made it to the finals I'm not sure if he won in that tr- little tournament but. It was just, it was pretty funny that he, I felt like it was really like gutsy that he basically like asked me to play like right away when I, when I was like 30 in the world. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, yeah, like, you know, I heard he was really a doubles player and I didn't have a partner already. So I was like, sure. And as it got closer, obviously he had a great summer and it was really good. I'm like, I'll take a chance on him, you know, and clearly that was the right decision because we ended up winning it
0: clearly clearly where's your trophy Mel where's the U.S. Open trophy
1: I have it on my house on a shelf yeah yep so cool very so cool. cool
0: U.S. Open champion Melanie Udan hello <laughs> that's so cool
1: never in a million years I think I would win a Grand Slam and mix doubles though ever hey never but a Grand Slam I I will take any uh, any way I can get one
0: you beat the argentinian team in the final was 10-8 in the third in that breaker was that just like do you remember feeling i mean if you're serving in a tiebreak for a grand slam i mean if you're thinking back now was that a time where you were just like completely nervous like i mean stupid question i'm sure but i mean was it different nerves than any other match or
1: well so jack served at 9-8 in the breaker and i actually knew i i really thought that we were once it got there i was like going to win i think we're going to win this because jack lives for those moments he literally like lives for that i'm like okay of course it's jack serve on our grand slam match point you know and he had a huge serve and eduardo ended up, ended up missing the return but yeah I, it was just funny because yeah. jack loved like making it close and then just like a, I don't know he he just always lived for those kind of moments
0: Well, there we go. And there we Grand Slam champ. I love it. I love that story because it brought you back into the spotlight. Yeah, it definitely did. And you continue to play well in 2012. You play some really good tennis despite falling in the rankings a bit at the start of the year, your run through qualifying at the 2012 Birmingham events would prove that Melanie was still there to beat the best in the world. So let's talk the next topic we're winding up today. It's 2012 Birmingham and it's another happy memory. So this is your first WTA title. That Birmingham title was a big deal at that point for you because Mm you had won an ITF event, I think you just said right before, and you had just gotten your first victory at the French Open as well. So you're playing some great tennis in 2012. So you're coming into form and you start in qualifying and poof, here we go. So what did that title mean to you really, Melanie? Because you've been playing pro tennis for a while now and to get that first title must've felt just
1: No, it it really was. It was funny because that tournament was ridiculous. There was so much rain. We had so many rain delays. The grass was just not in the best conditions. There, It was just, and, and I know the rain had messed with it a lot, but then like having a match that lasted like two days, you know, and you constantly are coming off and on the court. Mentally, it was probably one of the like most exhausting tournaments. But it's funny, I actually was working with Jay Gooding at the time with USTA and he told me at the very beginning of the tournament, or maybe it was right when I qualified, but he's like, Melanie, whoever's the most mentally tough is going to win this tournament. He's like, if you can be the most mentally tough, you can win this tournament because some of the players aren't going to want to deal with this. You know, it took a lot. I mean, it was not ideal at all. Wow. Windy rainy, constant rain, constant delays on and off the court. The courts, the bounces were horrible. I mean, it was just so many things like out of your control. And so he was, he would tell me, like, if you can do the best you can with the things that are in your control, like, if you're the most mentally tough, you can win the tournament. It's funny that I won the tournament because I was like, okay, I can do this, you know. And, and mental toughness was one of my biggest strengths actually in my game. So it was a very cool moment, especially playing Yelena in the final. And I actually was confident because I had. I had beaten her before on grass. Maybe
0: not mushy grass. Maybe not like mushy, you know, (laughs) gross water grass, but pool grass, I guess. (laughs) Well, in honor of that great title run and winning eight matches to win the trophy, here's your last Udan exam question for today. This is for the win. Are you ready?
1: Okay. Here we go. Yeah, I'm ready. Can
0: you remember the final score against Yelena Jankovic? in your title match in Birmingham?
1: I definitely can't. 100% no. <laughs> unless, unless I'm going to guess. Do it. Scores, I, I don't remember as well as like people. Yeah. I'll say, can you give me a hint? Was it three sets or no? OK, was it three and four?
0: So <sighs> close. Very close. You got four and two. Oh, four and two. Better okay. than that. I
1: was thinking it was two sets, but I was making sure, OK. I was
0: close. No, you did a good job. You earned a wild card actually from Wimbledon. They gave an yes. American a wild card into Wimbledon. I mean, that's, you know, come on. That means you were a big name. I mean, that everyone was cheering for you for sure. Was that a proud moment? Obviously looking back in your entire career, the U.S. Open we've talked about, we've talked about Wimbledon. We've talked about your amazing junior record as well. That title, where does that rank as far as really proud moments for you in your tennis career?
1: I mean, it's it's pretty high because it I won the yeah. tournament. You know, it wasn't like I know the U.S. Open, obviously, because it was a quarterfinal. But that one, I I won eight matches to win. It was extremely tough, and then obviously it was really awesome to earn the wild card. So it was like a bonus on top of winning the tournament. To be able to play Wimbledon when I wasn't in that year, so overall, like it was, it was a really, really cool experience for me. Definitely one of my one of my favorites.
0: Is that sitting next to your US Open trophy?
1: Oh, that's in my trophy case. Oh, yeah. The US Open trophy is more on a shelf.
0: We need to I want an Instagram moment. We need to do that when when this episode comes out. Maybe we'll organize that. All right, well, let's talk about the last phase of your career. It's in 2013 after a 2012 season that saw you start playing some really great tennis. You started having heart palpitations on court, and then there was a misdiagnosis of anxiety attacks and there was there was a lot of stuff going on that you had to deal with. It must have been a very scary time in your life at that point. Later towards the end of your career, you'd also have a terrible muscle tear in your hand as well. I mean, we've we've spoken a little bit about it, but, and then there was mono on top of that. I mean, there was a lot going on in this last phase, really terrible Mm -hmm. luck. It must've been, I mean, I know we've lumped together a few years where it kind of happened, but can you walk us through, obviously you have this great 2012 season things are starting to change you must have been so disappointed for this to happen what was exactly yeah I know I just kind of gave Cliff's notes version of it but what was it that kind of really derailed you at that point
1: so I had just gotten at the end of 2012 I was back in the top hundred I was I think I was about 70 something in the world so I was really like back on track I was gonna be in like main draw of like Australian Open really like felt really good about my game was confident again playing for some really good tennis. And then I had gotten this rare muscle condition actually was the first thing I got at the end of that year, which was just such a random thing. It literally, the doctor even told me that one of the reasons is just bad luck. Like he, the doctor even told me that that's what it was. I'm like okay like this is just bad luck like this and it happened to my arms so my biceps so it really affected things I couldn't train at all it was probably six months before I did anything and that was when actually the heart palpitation started the beginning of 2013 also so pretty much 2013 I didn't play a lot and then just getting back to that level again after being out was really difficult like Some people I don't think realize like how much it goes into actually playing at that kind of level. Like you can't just stop for six months and then just expect to be back right away. Like it takes so much time to get back match play. You got to play tournaments to really, you know, play against that level again, let alone the training where I wasn't even able to use my arms for a little while. So the biggest thing though, is that finally like got better, but then the heart palpitations was a huge thing. All of rest of 2013, all of 2014 was really dealing with it. I had to retire from, from matches. Sometimes I defaulted doubles. Sometimes I felt so bad for my partner. because I literally like felt like I could not play. I would start to lose like feeling in my arms and my legs. And, and I went to doctors. I got every test in the book in end of 2013. And I, they told me that I had anxiety attacks. So I was, I was a little bit embarrassed. I didn't really want to talk about it. I started seeing a sports psychologist to work on my breathing and nothing really ended up working. And I'm like, I'm really trying so hard to see what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing all these techniques that they're telling me, and it's still happening. It was happening more often. and finally. End of 2014, so I basically played two years almost with this going on. And my grandma went to Macon, Macon, Georgia, it was an ITF Pro Circuit tournament. It happened during the match. She's like Melanie, this is t- this has lasted long enough. We are going to the urgent care. So while it's happening, like the I used to call it like an episode, she took me to an urgent care. They couldn't even get my blood pressure. They took my heart rate; it was beating over 200 beats per minute. And they were freaking out. Like I was just 21, 22. And they thought I was going to literally like have a heart attack and die at the urgent care. They're like, this is not a panic attack. Right away, they said that. And I've literally gone almost two years thinking I'm having anxiety attacks and embarrassed that like I can't control it. Why is this happening? So right away, I go to a different doctor and he basically tells me exactly what I have. And I'm just like... You know, it was just, it was, it was in a way, it was great to know what the problem was, but it was just like, wow, I've wasted two years almost of a pro tennis career misdiagnosed, not knowing what was wrong when like, and no one had ever even mentioned to me, that was the crazy thing. My mom still can't get over it. No one had even mentioned what I had. It could be a possibility. It wasn't even a thought. So I'd never even heard of it before. It wasn't like, oh, let's, you know, check this off. Like, that's not this. No, no one even. So that was a big, a big thing to go through mentally, physically, just everything. Yeah.
0: When you're working so hard to try and get to the point where you want to mm-hmm. be in, it's it, it's out of your hands. It's in, it's in someone else's hands at that point, you know, to know what's happening in 2016, I know you were trying to play through a lot of the pain. I mean, there was a lot of things. Again, we mentioned a couple of the the hand injury was really severe as well. The mono, we've had players retire from mono. I mean, these are things that, big, big things that you had to deal with. Your last event was 2016 in Scottsdale. Did you know at the time that was going to be your last event?
1: No, definitely not. And Mm. I really was not happy about the match either. Like the conditions were, it was one of the windiest matches I've ever played before. You know, but it was one of those things where like, I'm, I obviously never thought like, oh, this might be my last match. Like I tried, I wanted to play in 2017. Like it was always my plan to have a good off season and and come back. Like I still wanted to fight through it, but that was when I got mono was really like, would not go away. I was exhausted all the time. And then I also had a hamstring injury that started that off season in January, like a tendonitis that would not go away. I had gotten a PRP injection for it. I tried again tried everything. And I just kind of then started to realize like my body was never going to be the same. Like I wasn't playing the level that I wanted also, but it was, it was part, I mean, I, and I never would make excuses, but my body just never was the same really after the muscle condition. It never, it was like constant injuries back to back. I never really felt like a hundred percent again, which is, is such a bummer because I really didn't have many injuries through before that. That was really the start of it. And then it just was really hard for me to get back.
0: I'm sure it was very difficult for someone like you who's again, you've played your entire entire life almost, you know, yeah. for you were a great junior and you're playing all the way through this, and then all of a sudden, you're not playing. I mean, I'm sure it was a very Mm -hmm. tough transition for you to kind of, I don't want to say normal life, but you know, it's from a, a life where you're not training and you're not, you're not traveling and you're not worrying about what you're eating every two seconds. I mean, there's a lot of things that you had to kind of acclimate to living back again, like a normal person. You know, you've talked about it. You had a great interview in Behind the Racket as well. I, I recommend listening to it and reading it. It was just a tough transition. I mean, did you, did it take some time for you to figure some things out? I mean, obviously we've a lot about pros of this. Your story is not atypical from most pro athletes who take some, especially who retire from injury and not on their own. I mean, did it take some time for you to kind of figure out what you wanted to do?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. I never really plan on Retiring this young in my career, so I kind of had a plan in my mind of what I kind of thought how I thought things would go after. And with retiring early, I'm like, well, you know, I I've got time for like a whole another career. So what is that? Because I really hadn't thought a whole lot about it. I'd always been interested in commentating, but.
0: You've done some great work, by the way. I mean, oh, you're, I mean, you. yeah, for sure. I mean, we'd like to see you back doing that too.
1: But the coaching is something that I fell in love with after trying. And I just, I never thought I'd be a coach, but it's actually pretty funny because like my personality and just like the way that I, I've loved tennis so much, I've loved being on court and I miss being, you know, on court and, and talking about tennis. And I just love the game so much, understanding the game and learning about it and watching matches that it makes sense it makes total sense like that I should be a coach and I realized that like that really is what I'm what I'm passionate about
0: it makes sense we are winding down today with the amazing Melanie Udan we're talking about happier times now we're talking life after tennis we just mentioned since leaving tour you're coaching now which is so great I'm sure you can offer a lot of great advice to a lot of young players and (sighs) especially on the mental attitude and the mental side of tennis, for sure. That's where you were so amazing. Looking back, is there any bad advice you were given growing up? I mean, there was so much good advice. I mean, obviously you got to top 30 in the world. So there was a lot of good that people kind of injected into your career. But I wonder what's something that you look back and say, I can't believe someone would even tell me to do
1: that. I have definitely gotten some bad advice. I I won't say who this was from, but... I had worked with this one coach and he wasn't even my personal coach. It was just another coach. And he had wanted me to play like another girl uh, and like some of the other girls at the Academy. And I knew myself. Right. And I I know just from like growing up and the coach that I worked with when I was younger, that every player is so different and every everybody's body type is different. Not everyone can hit the same shot with the same spin with the way that they're built. Not everyone's going to have the same power RPMs on their forehand or their backhand or their serve. So you take what someone does naturally and you make as good as you possibly can, right? Like if you try to make everyone the same player, how no one has the same forehand. Look, every single forehand on the tour is different. Every single backhand on the tour is a little bit different. Yes, you wanna you wanna copy some of the best forehands in the world, best back ends in the world, but you still have to take what someone does really well and then make it better. Also, everyone's personality is different. You can see their personalities when they play. You know, some people have play with more finesse and like energy. Like Francis TFO, he's got a funky forehand and like he's amazing, right? And like, but his tenacity sure. and the way he plays is like people just love watching him, the way he plays, he fights. But then you've got people that are way more chill and like, don't say a lot when they play. And it just, I don't know, I think you have to go with like someone's natural ability.
0: I love hearing this today. I mean, you're so passionate about coaching. You're going to be such a great coach. I mean, you are a great coach, I'm sure. I mean, this is, have we thought about ATP or WTA? I mean, is this something because the passion is there. I mean, you know what you're talking about. It's
1: it's definitely there. I've I've definitely thought about coaching on the tour. Haven't like gotten that opportunity. If I that opportunity came around that I would I haven't put myself out there as much yet. Cause I really wanted to gain a ton of experience coaching some of juniors first and just really feel yeah. like I have a little more experience coaching, like I have on the playing side. Um, but yeah, down the road, I would really love to do that.
0: What do you miss most about the tour, Melanie?
1: I think it's the environment. Everyone everyone is, is like me. Yeah. Everyone is like each other, right? And now being in, I hate to say it, like the real world, right? People don't understand what that lifestyle was like. They don't understand, you know, what you kind of, the sacrifices you go through, like what you kind of do on a daily basis, the discipline, the professionalism, it's just, it's just a lot different, especially like when I retired, you know, some people like hang out with people like mid twenties and it's, it's just, it's just it's totally different. Like some people are just out of college a few years ago and like, they're still kind of in that mindset of like partying all the time and drinking all the time.
0: You grew up fast. Yeah, you definitely did. You know, you were an adult traveling the world at 16 years old. I mean, you've seen, yeah. you've seen things that a lot of people haven't. So I totally I totally get it. Well, the U.S. Open's coming up, and I just I'm so excited about it because it makes me think of, you know, such great moments and memories. Have you been back to the U.S. Open since uh, you retired?
1: Yes, I because I did some commentating and interviewing and everything there the next year, so 2018. So I but I didn't go 19 okay. or 20. So You're I really I'm not going to go this year. I don't think I'm gonna be able to go, but next year, hundred percent I'm going.
0: I'll save you a spot. All right, well, it's our last topic today with Melanie Udan. We have a question from one of Melanie's biggest fans. It's Taylor Downs in Alpharetta, Georgia. She asks, looking back on your career, Melanie, what do you want to be remembered for?
1: That's a good question. I think it's for, I think it's for just my fight. And the fact that I like really did give it all, like my, my heart and what I, how I played, you know, I think like people would say, oh, you know, the, the believe thing, people still come up to me and will say, oh, like, believe, (laughs) honey. like, do you still have the shoes? So I think like, that is really cool. I mean, because you can use that in any aspect of life, right? Like believing in yourself and, you know, me being inspiring to even just one person, I think is is really, really cool. It made a difference in their life, you know, inspiring them to follow their dreams and and believe in themselves and whatever their goals are in life. So I think that's probably what I would like to be remembered for the most was, was is really the believe.
0: It was a career that was cut too short, but the time that you spent on court. People will never forget those memories that you gave. I certainly won't. So thank you so much, Melanie. What a fun show today. I love the catch up. I want to thank my guest, Melanie Udan, for joining us today. You can follow her on Instagram at Melanie Udan or on Twitter at Melanie underscore Udan. That's O-U-D-I-N. We know how to spell it. I can't say thank you enough. I mean, I um, it's going to be a great U.S. Open. I'm, I'm sure you're going to be watching like all of us. So this is going to be fun. Thanks for reliving those memories today.
1: Thanks, John.
0: While you're on Instagram, shoot me a DM at John Garica. Let me know who you're a big fan of and who you'd like to see on an upcoming show. Also, don't forget to follow us at Fantastic Tennis Pod or on Twitter at Tennis Pod. My name is John Garika. Thank you for listening. This has been fantastic.